I love the Word of God. And uh, this, this series has been a blessing to me. I have uh, been studying in the book of Revelation, Daniel, the, some of the prophets, honestly, the Gospels, really the, the Bible, just looking at, at end in, in, in times, study of end in, in things. And we're not going to get into a lot of that today, the eschatology of it. We've been working through, if, if you haven't been here for a while, we've been working through a series of messages about the revelation of Jesus. So we're looking in the book of Revelation and seeing what it reveals to us about Jesus Christ. Last week was probably my, my favorite message. It was Jesus in the church, and he is in our midst. Amen? He has not left us or forsaken us, and his purpose is being worked out in the church. If you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and, and uh, hear that message. So we got two more installments in this series, uh, and today we're going to talk about the one who is coming in the clouds. And so Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. And we're going we're gonna to try to stick with the Scripture. This, this uh, time, over the last three months or so, uh, maybe four months, digging into the book of Revelation has uh, given me fresh perspective. Ideas that I've had are, are changing. And uh, really focused in on seeing Jesus his purpose, and his preeminence. And it's helpful. It's helpful. You know, a lot of times we can, we can read our culture, we read our church background, we, we read what, um, what's popular, et cetera, et cetera. We read a lot of church pop culture into the scriptures, and it, and it forms our, our theology, it forms um, our view of truth. And um, I've been working really, really hard just to See what the scripture says and stick with that. We're going to go through a lot of scripture today. Let me show you just an example before we get into the word of of how that can work. How many of you have ever heard that Satan is the choir leader in heaven? Anybody ever heard that? A few of us? So it's a popular thing that's taught and preached. Where Where does that come from? Where is it in the Bible? It's actually... Not. Not in the scripture. There's one scripture that talks about the fact that he is, was a musical in his creation, in his, in his very existence and being, that there were tabrets or pipes. He was like a musical instrument, like the wind blowing through would make this musical sound. Somebody took, and I don't know exactly how, this is just a little bit of assumption, how we got to this, this theology that he's the choir director in heaven. Somebody probably preached some kind of message about him being a a musical being. Somebody caught that and embellished it a little bit and embellished it again and embellished it again. I heard a message a few years back that said when when Satan fell, he he landed in a choir loft, (laughs) right? And these are messages that are just embellishments on ideas of men, but they're not rooted in biblical truth, Right? A lot of what we see in pop culture about how this is going to play out in end times, there's all kinds of movie series and book series and all these types of things, and they're, they're fanciful, they're Hollywood production, et cetera, et cetera, and it's a lot of man's ideas about how it's going to play out. I would encourage you to just try to strip all of that away and get into the Bible and see what the Bible says about it. It will really uh, cleanse your mind. It'll give you a fresh perspective. What does the Bible have to say about how things are going to unfold? So let's look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Just, just one verse that I want to start with here. We've read through this, and this is not a comprehensive study in the book of Revelation. We're just kind of looking at some of the highlights about what it teaches us 
about Jesus, and I'm trying to hit some of the things that I think are really, really important for us to grasp and understand. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Behold, he is coming with clouds, he's coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. Somebody said that it would be on CNN. Maybe it's on Facebook Live when Jesus comes that everybody is going to see. We don't know how that's going to play out, but everybody's going to see him. It says, even they who pierced him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So here's a revelation of Jesus. He's coming with clouds. Uh, This term is used all throughout scripture. Coming on clouds, coming in the clouds, coming with clouds. um, All the same. This is a revelation. He's coming with clouds. How many of you know that Jesus is coming again? So I'm, I'm fairly open. I'm not dogmatic. I've got, I've got some very strong ideas about what the end times are going to look like. And those are changing. They're in, not, not drastically changing, but just shaping up. I've got a picture in my mind. How many of you have a picture in your mind as you've studied or things you've heard? And, you, and, and some of that, some, some of what I believe is probably right, and some of it's not necessarily accurate. That's why I'm not real, real dogmatic about it. I, I want strong viewpoints, I, I want strong opinions, but I, I don't want to box myself into things because if Jesus shows up and does it a way that is different than what I have in my mind, I don't want to be terribly disappointed, right? So th- I think there's some things that we can be really, really clear about from Scripture, and then there's a lot of places where we read a lot of assumption into it, and I want to try to just be, land where the, where the Scripture lands and be dogmatic on those things, and then all the other concepts and ideas uh, they're, they're in flux. They're, they're open for negotiation in my mind. And, and I can see, I, I've studied, been, been studying for 25 years these, these topics. I've, I've been studying them very intensely the last three or four months. And I can see a lot of the you know, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, uh, post-millennial, amillennial, uh, pre-millennial, all these different viewpoints. I can see bits and slivers of truth in Scripture that kind of fits into these different models. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of open. Again, I'm not dogmatic about it. I, I have one, a couple of viewpoints where, I, 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 where I'm kind of at. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to, I'm trying to stick with what's important and stay with that. And I'm open to most of those. And I will say this, with, with, with the exception of preterism. preterism. Now, full preterism. Full preterism teaches that all of the prophecies about Jesus have been fulfilled. There's nothing left to be done. And full preterism really teaches this, that this is heaven. This is as much as we're going to get of heaven in, in, in this life. Like there's no, there's no rapture, there's no coming of, of Christ's kingdom to the earth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like, yeah, great, great reaction. I'm glad y'all aren't there either. Because Jesus is coming back and he is going to, and not all of the prophecies have been fulfilled. So I'm not on board with any of the ideas of preterism, but yeah, we're working through it. We're working through. I have some strong ideas. If you want to hear those ideas, we'll, we'll be teaching through it in May on Wednesday nights. And we are, we're going to spend some time in Revelation, and we're going to look at eschatology. And we're going to look at options, and we're going to look at what the, the, the Scriptures clearly teach. Okay? And we're going to see where those options sometimes are the assumptions that we read into Scripture. So we'll talk about that next month. But... Uh, we're going to focus on Jesus here. He's the one who's coming with clouds. Every eye is going to see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. 
He's coming with the clouds. This, this, this language is very, very common throughout Scripture. Here in the book of Revelation, it's used in the Gospels. It's used in uh, the book of Acts. We'll see that here in just a second. It's used in the epistles. Uh, it's used through the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel all use this terminology. And in, in, in the Jewish thought, uh, when it was declared through prophetic utterance, the people of the day would have understood that it's talking about the coming of Christ and his kingdom, the Messiah and his kingdom. They would have clearly understood that. When we read this terminology in Scripture, it, it really, uh, there, there are two things that accompany it, the coming of the kingdom of God, the coming of Christ with, with clouds, in the clouds. There, there's two understandings, it's, uh, and, and this is consistent through New Testament uh, epistles, the Gospels. It's uh, also true in the Old Testament prophets that use this, this terminology. And it, it, it's these two things of judgment and salvation. Jesus is coming and he's going to judge the nations. He's going to judge humanity and he's going to bring salvation to the elect, to the children of God. They will receive his salvation. What does this look like? I believe Revelation chapter 19 gives us a very clear picture. And we could read the whole chapter today. We're not going to do that. We're going to read a passage. We actually read this or part of this or passage last week. But I want to read out of Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, verse 16. What is it going to look like when Jesus comes back to set his kingdom up? And I'll just say that the passage we're about to read is, is preceded with the marriage supper of the Lamb, language about the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it, it, it's uh, followed by uh, a, de a depiction of the complete and utter obliteration of the enemies of God, right? And this is what it's going to look like when he comes. There's going to be the gathering together of his people, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he is going to wipe his enemies out, and this is a picture of it. He says, I... Saw in verse 11, heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself." And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepresses of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. What a glorious depiction of, of our, our, our God and our King. What a glorious revelation of Jesus Christ who's coming on the clouds. He's coming to set up the kingdom of God on planet Earth. He's coming to make all things new. He's coming to restore the inheritance, as we looked at over the last couple of weeks, of Adam that was lost. We saw that through the seven churches, everything that's promised to those seven churches as they overcome their troubles, those seven things are restoration of things that Adam had forfeited. Christ is coming back to set up his kingdom on planet earth and to rule and reign with his people from Jerusalem. The nations of the earth are going to be ruled with uh, by, by our God, and we are going to govern with him. 
We are going to rule and reign. We're going to have the dominion that God had given to Adam and he forfeited. We will rule and reign with him. Heaven, and we're not going to get too much into heaven. That's actually, we're going to deep dive into heaven next week. So if you want to see what heaven looks like, uh, we'll, we'll talk, the kingdom of heaven is going to look like. We're going to talk about that next week. But, but, but heaven is not what you have seen on the cartoons. It's not what you have seen in the movies. It's not some fanciful place where we're going to float in the clouds and look like little cherub angels with diapers playing harps. It's going to be a real kingdom on planet earth that's going to be established where Christ is, is, is the light of, 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 of glory. It's going to be an awesome, awesome thing. If you want to know more about it, come back next week. So there are, as I said, two things happening around this. There, are, uh, there, there is the ingathering of, of the elect, the children of God, to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and there is the judgment and the defeat of the enemies of God when we read through chapter 19. And it, it's all the picture of him who is coming with the clouds. This language is also used, as I said, Old Testament, New Testament, but in the gospel, gospel of Mark chapter 13, verse 24 through 27, it says, but in those days after the tribu- that tribulation, so there's a, a verse that the post-tribbers love. We're not getting into that right now. We'll get into it on Wednesdays in May. But after that tribulation, the, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. So we see this. It's it, the language of what's going to happen when he comes with the clouds. The language all throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is consistent, right? It is Jesus coming to defeat all of his enemies and to gather his elect. That's the purpose of it. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, whenever Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, listen to what, to, to what the angel of the Lord said to them. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will uh, so come in like manner as you, have, uh, as you saw him go into heaven. He ascended on a cloud. He's going to descend with clouds. What a glorious day. How many of you are looking for that day? I know that I am. I am. Some terminology, just for clarity, some terminology in this scripture. Two things that we need to understand. The acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. We're living in the acceptable year of the Lord. This is a day of grace. This is a day of opportunity to come and to know Jesus. This is, this is a day for repentance. This is a day for restoration to God. This is the acceptable year of our God. It's a season. It's not just a 365-day uh, year or 360-day year. It is a season of God's favor towards and kindness and goodness towards mankind. It's a window of opportunity for repentance, for us to turn from our wickedness, to turn from sin to our Savior. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. And there's a day coming, it's called the day of vengeance of our God. It's, it's coming when he rides in on that white horse. It's coming when he comes on the clouds with power. There's a day of judgment coming where not, not just the world, but we as well when, are going to be judged. The righteous and the unrighteous will be judged. He is the, he is the judge of the quick and the dead. Those who are alive and those who are dead, he will judge. He's going to judge all of mankind. 
And it's, it's, it's going to be, it's called the, in, in Scripture, it's called the great and awesome or terrible day. It is. It's going to be a great and awesome and terrible day. There are going to be terrible things. Uh, awesome in one regard. But, but for those who are outside of his kingdom, those who are rebellious, those who do not know God, it is going to be a horrific day. Peter talks about, and I'm going to read through several passages here that, that talk about what's going to come, and, and really these are things that talk about judgment. These are passages that talk about judgment. There's salvation coming, but there's also judgment. The judgment, our, our, our salvation is going to come through judgment. The wrath of God being poured out is actually going to, to, to bring salvation. Just like in the days of Noah, when the rains fell, it was the wrath of God, the judgment of God against uh, sinful humanity, and that, that same rain that, that, that destroyed a rebellious mankind lifted at, uh, it, Noah, which one was it? <laughs> Noah and his family to safety and security because they were in the ark, Amen. right? Those of us who are in Christ, when the wrath of God comes, we will be saved and the judgment that's coming is going to be a judgment of fire. We, talked, we read in the passage uh, there in Revelation 19 about the fire that's in his eyes. Right? There's a lot to say about the, 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 the day of the Lord uh, with, with fire. I, I don't know if this is a literal fire or, or if this is just the wrath of God consuming his, that, that rages and burns that consumes his enemies. But the Bible talks a lot about fire. Right? So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come. This is the day of the vengeance of our God. That's speaking of here. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. I believe that everything that we know is going to be changed at the coming of the Lord. I don't know exactly what that's, we, we can come up with all of these ideas in our mind of what that's going to, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But the language of scripture tells us that it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, like, it's talking about the elements, the very elements of the world, this, this world being changed by fervent heat. Verse 11, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, everything, and we're, we're trying, Earth Day, right? These things pop up on my calendar. How many of you have those digital calendars? All kinds of agendas that this world is trying to cram down our throat, and I cannot delete them off my calendar. Earth Day, save the planet. Our mission is not to save this planet, it's to save souls. Don't get distracted. Be a good steward of the planet, yes. Don't throw your trash out your window. Don't, don't abuse the resources that God's given us on this planet, yes. But it's a distraction. This world is going to be turned inside out and made new. And, and not very far off. I, I can't tell you that it's this week, this year, this decade, but I, I, I believe that soon, Jesus is coming back. Amen. That's all. I, I need to move away from the save the planet agenda. <laughs> Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, 
That's, that's where we really need to be focused. Holy character, holy conduct, and godliness. Looking for the hastening, and, and hastening, the, the coming of the day of God. Church, this is where we need to be planted, right here. Let's focus on our conduct, our character, our Christian life. Let's strive to live a life that pleases God. And let's look for the coming, and look for and hasten the coming of, of, of Jesus. Because of which the heavens dissolve, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Jesus is coming, and this is what's going to happen. Nevertheless, we, according to, the, to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This world is decaying. It is falling apart. As soon as you get your house together, something breaks and you've got to fix it. You drive the car off the lot and immediately it depreciates $10,000. Why? Decay. Everything, every, all physical matter in this earth is breaking down. And humanity is breaking down. Systems of government are breaking down. Economies are breaking down. Corruption, corrosion is destroying everything in this earth. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to restore everything. And it's going to be a life of righteousness. Right? Wholeness. Health. The law of God is going to reign supreme. Right? What, a, what an awesome day. Another passage of scripture that I want to look at, it, it, it's uh, also about fire and it's about judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 17. It says, No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And, and church, that's what I'm trying to do with this series of teaching. Our eschatology, our end time view needs to be laid on the foundation of Jesus. Right? Not, not Tim LaHaye, not Grant Jeffrey, not... Name your favorite Bible teacher. What does the Bible say about it? Where's Jesus in it? Let's set our focus on that. And then let's kind of look at some of the assumptions and say, you know what, maybe. But here's what I know for sure. Here's what I know about Jesus and his purpose and what's going to unfold. We need that foundation. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day. Speaking again of the day of the vengeance of our God, we'll declare it. Because it will be, and it's probably more than one physical day. It's going to be a short season where God's doing business. And there's, there is a day of, of white throne judgment where we will all stand before God. And this is what it's going to look like. It's going to be, all that we've done is going to be revealed by fire. The fire will test each one's work. 
of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that, that, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. I want to say that the only thing that really matters and that is of a consequence, what are we doing to build the temple of God? To build our lives on the foundation of Christ Jesus and to see the purpose of God fulfilled in our life. Because at the end of the day, that, that's the only thing that we're going to take into eternity that's going to last. Pursuits, carnal pursuits, greed, you, going after things, all these types of things that we get distracted by and we build these things, they're going to burn up. We're going to lose those things. Right? Doesn't mean we ourselves are going to be lost. But only the treasure that we're laying up in heaven is going to remain. Only what we are sowing towards eternal things is really going to last. All of our temporal pursuits, all of our carnal uh, desire and pleasure and pursuit is going to... Have you ever seen how fast stuff burns? How many of you have ever had a fire get out of control? I had a fire get out of control. I was in, in Burnsville at the church we worked at. We lived in the parsonage on the, the church property. And my boys and I, we were uh, part of our job. We, we were uh, groundskeepers, caretakers. So we'd get them over out of the garage every week. We'd mow the yard. And it, it, this was in, I think it was in the fall. All the leaves were on the ground. We were trying to clean the parking lot. We had blown all this huge pile of leaves down to the bottom of the parking lot. And we had this old mower that we were about to replace. It was on its last leg. And, I mean, it was in horrible shape. Barely, it, you know, it's one of those sputtering things when you started it up. It was leaking oil. We had to put oil into it every time we used it. And so because it was leaking oil, the whole frame was coated in oil and leaves and everything that clung to it. And we're driving, I'm driving, I'm actually about to go to the mall with my wife, and I'm setting my boys up to clean the yard when we're gone. And I get them over out, and I'm running over this pile of leaves, blowing them, and trying to shred them, and trying to get rid of them, and, and I get stuck. And then I see smoke coming. And I'm going to tell you, by the time I, from, from the time I saw the smoke coming to jumping off of that mower and throwing the lid up, I mean, just like that, the whole thing was engulfed. Before I know it, there was a gas station on the other side of the tree line there, and the smoke was billowing up over the gas station. So they shut the gas station down. The manager comes running with a fire extinguisher. What in the world's going on? Before I know it, Minnesota State Police are pulling into the parking lot, get pulling fire extinguishers out of there, and then the, the Burnsville Fire Department. And I met the whole town in one day. <laughs> but that whole pile of leaves was just engulfed. The, the entire, I mean, that, that lawnmower was just melted. It happened like that. All of our ambition, all of our pursuits, all of the greedy things and all of the carnal things that we have aspired to in this life, they're going to be gone. Where are we making investment? What, what are we really building in our life? We, we need to get eternal perspective. We need to get a focus on what matters and invest all of our time there because when Christ comes... All of that foolish stuff is just going to 
All the things that we poured our life, they're gone. And we will experience loss. But if we're building things for the kingdom, there's reward. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. And the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. I, I love that verse. It has nothing to do with today's message, but I love that verse. He's thanking God for these Thessalonians because of their faith that is growing exceedingly and the love of every one of them that is abounding towards each other. What a beautiful picture. Verse 4, he says, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God and for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. And man, I, I want to be a part of a church that we can brag about. Amen. Because we've got a, an abounding faith and we're just constantly growing in love for each other. Amen. I mean, we're falling over ourselves to serve and to honor and to love. That's what I want to be a part of. And I want to be a part of something like this that has patience, as it says in verse 4, and faith in your persecutions and tribulations. The one most dangerous concept in American eschatology, talking about the American church, is escapism. We're looking for the easy way out. Revelation preaches endurance, patience, tribulation. John introduces, we looked at this last week, I think it was or the week before, where John introduces himself as their partner in patience and in kingdom and in tribulation. Right? It's a theme of the book. In fact, it's the theme of the New Testament. In fact, it's the theme of the Bible. We're in this world, and we're going to have to endure some things. Pastor, are you saying that we're going to go through the tribulation? I don't know. I don't know if it's pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. But if I'm ready to endure, if my eyes are set on Jesus, if he comes back at the beginning of the seven years, in the middle of the seven years, or at the end of the seven years, either way, if I'm set to endure... If I have patience, patient expectation that, that Jesus is coming, I'm going to make it, right? So he talks about it here in this verse. Patience, faith, in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Here it is again, the fire of God in his return, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, when he comes back, there's judgment coming. 
and it's going to be against the unrighteous. And you know that this gives, I think, one of the primary indicators of why he's going to judge the unrighteous. Because of their wicked deeds towards the righteous. He's going to have vengeance. How many martyrs have died? How much persecution has the saints of God had to endure over the ages? Listen, God is not mocked. Every one of the tears is bottled up, right? Jesus stands for for those who are persecuted. Jesus stands for martyrs. We see that with Stephen's life. He stands for every soul that has given their life for the sake of the gospel, for everyone who has endured hardness and hardship and persecution and tribulations for the sake of the gospel. Vengeance is coming. It's coming with him on that day. He's coming with the clouds, with fire, and that fire is the wrath of God, and it is vengeance towards the enemies of God, not just because of the rebellion against him, but because of their cruelness towards his children. That ought to give us hope. Amen? That ought to give us a confidence. I was talking to somebody before the service, and they said they've been reading, as we've been studying this series about Jesus and Revelation, they've been reading the book of Revelation, and they said they've got a hope. They're seeing, it's given them a confidence. They're excited about the things that they're reading, where before there might have been some trepidation, right, because we were focused on the nuclear bombs and the Antichrist and the mark of the beast, and ooh, they're going to force that on us, and we're going to go to hell because we took the mark. We're worried about all that stuff instead of seeing the hope that's in this book. It's hopeful. It's encouraging, right? That, that, that's the one thing that I'm seeing over the last three or four months. Man, I am so hopeful about the return of God. I'm so hopeful about the coming kingdom. It's a beautiful thing. Those of us who are in Christ have nothing to fear. We should have a confidence. We should have a hope. This, we, we, when we read that, the, we don't fear the Antichrist. We don't fear Babylon. We don't fear uh, any of it. Right? Gog and Magog and the kings of the north and the kings of the south and the, 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 the ten kings, the ten nations, and that confederacy. We don't have to fear any of it. Does that mean it's going to be easy? Does that mean we're not going to have to? No, it doesn't mean any of that. But we have confidence. Look at what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Little children, abide in him, abide in Jesus. That's really what I'm trying to do for us with this book of Revelation. Let, let's abide in Jesus. Like, let's see what this book says about Jesus. Let's keep our eyes there and not get distracted with all the other stuff and, and make it, let, us, let it make us fearful. Abide in Jesus that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We read earlier the admonition in, Thessalon, uh, Thess, or in Peter uh, in, in verse 11 of chapter 3, 2 Peter 3.11, that we should have holy conduct and, and godliness. How does that happen? I want to say to you, it's going to happen by abiding in Jesus. Our overcoming is going to happen by abiding in Jesus, right? Again, looking back at those seven churches, all seven of the churches got a revelation of Jesus. All seven of them had problems, but he said, if you'll just look at Jesus, if you'll allow that to change you and shape you, if you'll abide in him, you'll, be, you'll overcome these things, and to him that overcomes, you will inherit, Right? 
It's our abiding in Christ that makes the difference. It's our communion and fellowship with him. It's our time in prayer. It's our time in the word. It's our time of worship. It's our time of coming together and encouraging each other in the Lord. That's what's going to help us have the character that we need. And what we read about here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, that's what's going to give us the confidence that we need. Right? I don't have any confidence in my flesh. I don't have any confidence that I'm going to be able to grit it out. How many of you have confidence that if, if they were to show, and, and these are the images that we always talk about, but if they were to show up at your house and tell you either you take the mark or we take your children, how many of you in yourself are real confident that you're going to be able to handle that? I have no confidence. I'll probably kill somebody or do something stupid. It ain't ending well if all I got to rely on is this. Right? But if I got confidence in Jesus, I don't have to worry about any of it. That doesn't mean I don't have concerns. I mean, I'm concerned about somebody trying to do that to my kids. But I've got confidence in Christ. I've got confidence in his plan. I've got confidence in his purpose. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, when he appears on the clouds of heaven, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. When our hope is in Jesus, we will purify ourselves. You see that? We have a hope and a confidence in him. We're abiding in him. And the byproduct of that, what, what happens to us, we, we, pure, we have a desire to please the Lord. We have a desire to stand before God. And be pure. My wife says it all the time. She says, Jesus is not coming back for a group of wishful thinkers. He's coming back for people who are prepared. He's coming back for a bride that has readied herself. They're not, the, not going to be caught off guard. They are vigilant. Right? And he's coming like a thief in the night. But when we're abiding in him, we can know the times and seasons. Does that mean that I can tell you 88 reasons he's coming back in 1988? Nope, that's not what it means. It means we sense that the day of our God is drawing near. And we are preparing ourselves. We are standing. We are vigilant. We are ready. Amen? First Thessalonians. I've got a couple more passages of Scripture I want to work through. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Least you sorrow as others who have no hope. In other words, don't worry about the people who have already died. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we could really do an entire series just right there on that. In fact, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 devotes 58 verses to it. Talking about the hope of the resurrection, and if we don't have that hope, we have no hope. He said it to this degree. He said, if all I have is hope in Jesus in this world, meaning and I don't have the hope of eternity through the resurrection, then I am of all men most miserable. Our hope is the resurrection, right? 
Our hope is the resurrection. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. In other words, don't worry about those who have already died. We have the hope of resurrection. Right? For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. One Pentecostal said, preacher said that's the reason the Baptists are going to be the first in the resurrection. I didn't say that. The Pentecostal preacher didn't. You can insert your favorite denomination in there. Yeah, be careful. I know. I love Pentecostals and I love Baptists. Verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with, him, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. He's coming on the clouds. And we're going to meet him. The dead in Christ, those who have died, their bodies are going to be. And I believe they're, in the, they're, they're, they're already there in spirit. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I believe they're present with the Lord. But their bodies will be resurrected along with ours. And we're going to meet him in the air. Verse 18, therefore. I love this. Comfort one another with these words. Believers, elect, children of God, saints, we do not have to fear the coming of the Lord. It says that we should comfort one another with the words about his coming. We do not have to fear. Again, going back to what the writer said in the first verses of this book, blessed is he who reads and hears and keeps what is written in this book. It's a blessing to us. I hope that, that we, we spent four, four weeks already, one more next week, I hope that more than anything we dispel the spookiness of the book of Revelation the trepidation of reading Revelation, Re Revelation because we're, we're, we're fearful of the things that are to come. No. We ought to read it with hope and expectation. It ought to comfort our hearts. Amen? I mean, what, what's going to give you more, more, more hope and confidence? Some political figure in, in the American politics? Some hope of a financial revival? An awakening? What's going on in our culture, in our world, is sick. It's decaying. It's crumbling. It's falling apart. We're going to put our hope in this? No. We have a greater hope. Amen? And I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the kingdom to come. Last verse I want to read is, is today is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, And that we've seen that, that theme about God being the righteous judge through these passages. He's coming to judge, and he is a righteous judge. 
There isn't anybody who's going to get that, that wrath of God poured out on them that does not deserve it. All who have rejected him, all who have been in rebellion, all who are opposed to him, and not one whose heart has been turned towards him. He is a righteous judge. And he will give to me on that day, there it is again, that day, the day of the vengeance of our God, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We need to learn to look for, long for, hasten, love the appearing of the Lord. Our hearts ought to long for it. There's a cry in the scriptures, Maranatha. Maranatha means come, Lord. Come, Lord. That cry today is missing because we're so in love with the temporal things of this life. Well, I don't want Jesus to come back. I want to watch my grandkids grow up. You want to watch your grandkids grow up in this garbage? I don't. You know what I want to do? I want to walk through the fields and stick my hand in the snake hole without being fearful of death with my grandkids by my side. That's what I want. Amen? We're going to hang on to this world with cancer and AIDS and corona pandemania and all the garbage that's going on? Really? I'm looking for that day. I'm looking for that day. I'm looking for his appearing. And just one last thought I want to put in here. It's not just about the escape. I mean, yep, getting out of this troubled world is looking better and better every day. But I tell you that what I'm really looking forward to is seeing Jesus. I want to see Jesus. One old preacher, he said this, he said, some people are more in love with their escape than they are with his appearing. I want to see Jesus. Let's stand together. Father, I pray that you would fill every one of us with hope, with confidence. Let all fear and trepidation be dissolved in our hearts. Church, lift your hands. Father, we want to draw near to you. And I pray that as we draw near to you, you would draw near to us. Your word says you will. Father, I'm thankful that you have not left us and you have not forsaken us. You will not walk away from us. And you will not allow your heart to go cold towards us. Lord, you are passionate about us. Father, reset our gaze. Reset our our heart's focus. Lord, that we would have a longing to be in your presence. In the place where apathy and half-heartedness and contentment with everything that this world offers us. Where that's gripped us, Lord God, I pray, Lord, that you would stir in us. Lord, I pray that that same fire that burns in your eyes would burn in our hearts. Lord, that we would be passionate for you. We would be passionate for your kingdom. No longer seeking our own 
but Lord, that we would live in every aspect of our life, every area of our life, seeking first your kingdom, looking for the eternal things and everything that's around us and every interaction and every endeavor in our life, Lord God, that it would be putting you and your kingdom first. Father, help us to get an eternal perspective, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would stir in your church the Maranatha cry, Lord God, that our hearts would long for you, Lord, that we would long to see you, that we would long to be together with you in your kingdom. Father, it's going to be a glorious day. Father, I pray right now, fill us full of the Holy Ghost. Fill us, stir in us, Lord God. Where it's become dormant, Lord God, I pray that you would stir it up, Lord God. Because it's just a down payment. It's just the pledge penny. It's just the earnest of what we are going to inherit in your kingdom. May that awaken in us, Lord God. May that touch of heaven be a reality to us. Father, I thank you for it and I give you praise for it today. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, I want to pray with you. It's not just about getting out of hell. It's not just about going to that place that we're going to talk about next week. But knowing him and having a relationship with him that changes everything. That gives you peace of mind. That gives you confidence. If you need to know Jesus, I'm going to invite you to come forward. I want my wife just to sing a song. Let's, let's worship the Lord.